are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview. And this week, we're previewing two tracks, the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, as well as Toledo Speedway. So joining me for tonight's show as co-host is uh, Jay Huseman. And uh, welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. What a weekend to look forward to. The unknown of Coda at the top three series and then the Sioux Chief uh, short track showdown for the Arkham Menard series uh, starts this weekend. So excited about yes. that as well. Yes, indeed. And in fact, uh, in our first half hour, we're going to preview the race for the Arkham Menard series at Toledo. And as you said, that is the very first of 10 uh, Sioux Chief Showdown events, and uh, our guest tonight at 8:40 is Jesse Love. He's going to be competing for that Sioux Chief Showdown championship, and uh, we'll have a chance to talk to him about that tonight. Uh, and so that's pretty much our first half hour tonight. Uh, at nine o'clock, uh, we're going to get into the NASCAR Truck Series at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, at about 9.20, we'll talk Xfinity Series at CODA. And then, of course, 9.40 is the NASCAR Cup Series at Circuit of the Americas. 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Always a lot of fun. And I think we have both Andy and Mike tonight, so uh, a lot to look forward to there as well. And some of the hot topics might not even be about CODA as we're not there yet. Had some news this week, uh, rumored news. I don't know if it's even been confirmed, but lots to talk about for sure as well on Hot Topics. Yes, indeed. Uh, so definitely stay tuned for that 10 o'clock half hour. All right, let's go ahead and get into it, Jay. We've got the Circuit of the Americas. I'm sorry. We've got the Sioux Chief Showdown starting this weekend at Toledo Speedway in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, that race will take place Saturday, May the 22nd. That happens to be my grandson's birthday. He turned six uh, on that day. He's, uh, the race starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it will be aired on MAV-TV and also live-streamed on TrackPaths for the NBC Gold members. Uh, and then ARCA Racing also has a radio coverage, so you can listen there as well. Uh, this track is a half-mile paved oval. They'll race 200 laps uh, that will cover a distance of 100 miles. So uh, this is going to be a big one, the Urs Potato Chips 200, uh, what, the first of 10 races within the Arkham Menard Series uh, for drivers to compete for the Sioux Chief Showdown Championship. Have you had a chance to look at the entry list for this yet? Uh, <laughs> I have. It's uh, pretty amazing who's on there. But two drivers I'm going to be watching are Gracie Trotter and Jesse Love, our guest for tonight. Well, we're certainly going to start there um, as they arrive to the fifth Arkham and Ard series of the 2021 season. Oh, hold on. Let me. There we go. Um, we got both the 19-year-old Gracie Trotter and 16-year-old Jesse Love that are entered in Tolino in Venturini Motorsports cars, meaning they'll benefit from the same equipment that helped time take and maintain that series points lead. And I'll talk a little bit about Trotter, and then uh, Sharon's going to talk about our guest coming up. 
Uh, Trotter, who last season became the first female to win a race on the Arca Menards platform when she reached victory lane at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway Bullring in the West Series, is going to run the VMS, or Venturini Motorsports, number 25, Coleco Coatings Toyota, uh, for the fourth time this season. Trotter's first three Arkham Menard Series races for VMS this season featured a streak of bad luck. An early crash contributed to her 23rd place finish in the opener at Daytona. Fortunately, another crash on the first lap at Phoenix knocked her out of that race. And then at Talladega, it was contact with another car that cut her tire and forced her to pit early, where she finished 22nd. Now, yet Trotter has shown speed in 2021, as evidenced by her average starting position of 3.3. Now, she has never raced at Toledo in an Arca Menards car, but her strong runs on similar tracks in the West suggest that she will be comfortable on yet another half-mile oval. And then on the other side of that, we got our guest tonight. Yes, Jesse Love has never raced at Arkham Menards in the car, an Arkham Menards Series car at Toledo either. Uh, but he's the youngest champion in the West Series history. A lot of you will remember at just 15 years of age, he earned the title just last season. And he has plenty of experience on tracks very similar to Toledo Speedway. Now, he'll lean on that experience when he wheels the Venturini Motorsports number 15. Mobile One Toyota on Saturday night at Toledo. So you know he's in good equipment. Uh, two of Love's three wins in the West Series last season uh, were on short tracks. He won at Irwindale Speedway in Irwindale, California, and he also won at Colorado National Speedway in Erie, Colorado. He has two top tens in his pair of short track starts and uh, in the Arkham Menard Series, Iowa Speedway, and Winchester Speedway just last season. And he has seven top tens in his eight short track starts in the West Series. Uh, very impressive stats. Uh, both Trotter and Love were teammates in the West Series racing for Bill McAnally last season. They're both running part-time schedules for Venturini Motorsports this year in the Arkham Menard Series. And Love is making his very first start for the team this weekend at Toledo. They both have speed and talent, and uh, they're going to join two other powerhouse uh, teams, Corey Hyman and uh, Ty Gibbs, on the list of 2021 Arkham Menard Series winners. At least that's their goal, Jay. Uh, most certainly it is. And we'll talk to Jesse Love about that. Uh, you're talking about... Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim, though, four races into the 2021 season, and the Arkham and Ard Series victory lane has been a back-and-forth affair between those two drivers. And that pattern will be put to the test at Saturdays as the series begins a string of three consecutive race weekends at in three entirely different venues. First up, we're talking about the Harris Potato Chips 200 at Toledo Speedway. Uh, that Ohio half-mile is home of the track for the Arca Racing Series which then has its offices in nearby Temperance, Michigan. And it's the first race, as Sharon mentioned, of the Sioux Chief Showdown. Yes. Uh, let's see. I was trying to find the list of uh, the other tracks that are going to be on that list. Uh, and for some reason, it's eluding me. Do you have that list, Jay? 
Uh, I do not have a, have a list currently of the other Suchi funds. Uh, if you want to keep looking at that. Here they are. Uh, I've got looking them. for I've got that. Them. June, okay. June 4th is going to be at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, then July 10th at Elko Speedway, July 17th at Berlin Raceway, July 24th at Iowa Speedway, the 31st of July they'll be at Winchester Speedway, then we go to the August races, August 6th at Watkins Glen International, and August 29th at the Milwaukee Mile. I'm excited about that one. September the 16th at Bristol Motor Speedway, and then October the 2nd at Salem Speedway, and that's where we will know who the Seuss Chief Showdown champion is. So, uh, again, just really looking forward to these races that are coming up. And I'm super excited to know that Jesse Love, is going to be competing for that title uh, as the reigning Arkham and Art Series West champion. So, Jesse, thanks for being on our show here tonight, and welcome. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Well, Jesse, I was so happy to see that you're racing, number one, with Venturini Motorsports. Uh, so you're going to have uh, really good equipment, I think. And then, two, that you're competing for this championship in the Arkham and Art Series, uh, the Tsuchi Showdown. Uh, tell us uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a lot of really great opportunities this year. Um, just super blessed, grateful, and fortunate to have so many great people behind me that are uh, supporting me and letting me live out my dreams. And, and we'll see uh, how many wins and championships we can get out of it. Okay, well, uh, I'm I'm kind of thinking we're going to see you in Victory Lane sooner rather than later. So, um, uh, have you? I know you've never raced at Toledo before, but you've raced a lot of other tracks like that. What are you doing to prepare to race at Toledo Speedway this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, as far as my job goes, I just have to control everything that I can control, and um, I feel like I've done a really good job with that. Um, at all the races I've gone to. And I think that, you know, kind of as I'm growing up and getting a little bit more mature and a little bit older, I'm, I'm kind of realizing, you know, what um, I really need to focus on and put my focus and effort into uh, so I can show up to the racetrack and be the most prepared I possibly can be. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how we unload and see how, um, how we can get going. So it should be a really good weekend. Got a great car, great crew chief, a great sponsor with Mobile One and a great team with Venturini and a great crew team with Kevin Reed. So hopefully we can uh, go get a win out of it and uh, and look uh, pretty good for the uh, the showdown uh, championship. You said it. You've got a great team there um, with uh, your crew chief and, and with uh, your uh, your team there at Venturini Motorsports. Um, and, and if there's one thing we learned from last year, Jesse, w- watching you win the championship last year, uh, is that it doesn't matter that you didn't race at that track before. You go in there and you know what you need to do to focus and, and uh, go out and get that win. So uh, I have every confidence in you for the rest of this season. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, make you guys uh, all right and proud. <laughs> all right. Uh, now, we have Jay with us tonight, and I know he's looking forward to talking to you as well. So, uh, Jay, you're up. Well, Jesse, you talked about in preparation for these races with the Sioux Chief Showdown and going after two championships. We've seen it done before. But on the West Series, you're with the Bill McAnally team. 
and that consistent team versus a part-time team with entering the motorsports. And I know they're used to working with part-time drivers coming in, but how does that differ for you, the, the, especially being West Coast driver coming to the Midwest, of how you prepare and work with that team on a part-time basis and, and the separation? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's not uh, too different just because, like, you know, I think I'm running more races with Benarini this year than I am in the West Series. So, um, I mean, obviously, I moved out here to uh, North Carolina. So, for the most part, you know, mainly full-time out here. Um, so, I'm able to go to the shop every day and see all the guys and work with uh, my crew chief, Kevin Reed, and everybody in the shop that are busting their tails every day. So, overall, it's just um, kind of a similar deal, except I think that, um, you know, being out in North Carolina is, is helping me just because I'm, you know, I'm out here, right, and I'm with the Venerini guys, and I'm, I can see them every day and go to the shop every day. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, each track is – or each team, sorry, is important to me. make sure you can get to the racetrack and have a good relationship with each other and, and be able to um, just be able to get there and have one goal in mind and to win races. So, um, you know, I think for me that the biggest thing is just control what I can control and – and be the best, you know, Jesse Love that I can be when I get to the racetrack. Well, and that leads to my second question with that. This being your first race in the Sioux Chief Showdown, I think, uh, what has it been, one or two races on the West, and we're still waiting until June, I believe, for your next race there. That gap in between, what do you do uh, other than being at the shop? What else have you been doing as far as uh, being in race-ready position? Yeah, well, you know, I think, like I said, like kind of like to, to you know, reiterate, like basically with, you know, being a race car driver, like you've got to make sure you don't get caught up in, in some of the stuff that you can't really control, you know. Um, so I think for me it's just making sure that when I get to the racetrack that, you know, I make sure that I do my job um, to the best of my abilities and make sure that, um, you know, all the guys and, and everybody in the shop is, is all the hard work they put in is, is, is worth it and, and make them proud and, um, I think that's, just, you know, at the end of the day, that's my job is to go out there and make lap time and, and, and drive the car um, to the fastest of its capabilities, right? So um, just, you know, it, it's a similar deal, I think, with, you know, each track to um, each car you drive, just because at the end of the day, you know, our job is to is to go fast and, and make lap time and win races. So, um, you know, I hope that answers your question. It's just like, you know, it's hard to it's hard to explain what each driver kind of goes through with how they might, you know, prep for races. But I know for me, it's it's um, it's pretty similar. Um, it's just making sure that when I get to the racetrack, I'm the most prepared in every single way. Okay, my my last question is is, is between the two. I, I know there there's similarities, but there's also differences between the the Arkham Menards West cars and now the main Arkham Menards series. Uh, what, do you, what do you think helps you more, being in the Arkham Menards car, going back to the West, or having driven the West car enough when you step into the the, series, the regular series car? Well, I mean, there's a little bit of a difference just with team to team. Um, of course, you know, Venerini will do it a little bit different than um, BMR, but as far as, you know, rules go, like um, you can run your West car at a, at a Menards race, you can run your Menards race at a Menards car at a rest race. So, the rule, the rules package is all the same. Um, the only difference might just be um, it depends on what bodies you run and if you run roof flaps and if you get a weight break or not or what motor you decide to run. But um, you know, I know that in, in the West car, um, 
you know, how how BMR does it is different than how Benarini does it. And I think, you know, it's important to touch on this with, um, you know, how important that is for, for me and my development, kind of being able to, um, you know, make both organizations better and, um, you know, I'm being able to learn from a lot of great people, everybody over at BMR and everybody over at Venerini. Um, everybody has, you know, their strengths and you got to play to those strengths, right? So um, I've got two great teams that I'm running for and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Well, and I, I would say that I, I definitely think it is great for, as you said, your development and being able to, to work with the differences between the two and then also what you can bring back and forth between the two teams. I know when we see teams make that kind of partnership um, to share a driver or have them run different cars, uh, that that also then brings up both uh, organizations as well. So that's great that you're doing that, and it's great that it, you get that opportunity uh, in your development. So good luck to you this weekend in this first race of the Sioux Chief uh, Showdown. Hopefully we get to uh, talk to you again on a, on a Monday. That's our winner's circle uh, night, so hopefully we get to have you on on a Monday. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a great idea, and hopefully I'll be talking to you guys on Monday. All right, okay. I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon here for some final questions. Okay, Jesse. Um, now, there's two other drivers that you'll be racing against t- this weekend, uh, Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs. They both have wins in the Arkham Art Series. But there's another driver, too. She's been your teammate over at BMR, and now she's your teammate at Venturini Motorsports. Uh, talk about... Uh, racing with Gracie Trotter because she's one of the up-and-coming female drivers in this sport. Yeah, she really is. I mean, overall, I just I get to work with a lot of, uh, you know, great teams and, and great people. Um, and, you know, Gracie's uh, been doing a good job with um, with what she's doing, and um, everybody else on the team has been, has been doing a good job. So, um, you know, obviously she'll be racing there this weekend, so um should be a good battle with, with everybody. Absolutely, and she is one of the drivers, uh, in addition to Corey Hyman and Ty Gibbs that have won before, you and Gracie are two of the up-and-coming drivers that a lot of people have their eyes on this weekend. Um, and, and, of course, you know, we've been following you guys for a while now, so we kind of know what to But a lot of people, this is going to be kind of a bigger stage for you guys. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, for me, like I've been able to uh... – be a part of some, you know, really big events and really big races. So um, as far as that goes, like it doesn't, as far as that goes, it doesn't really, you know, affect me in a, in a bad way too much. It just kind of, it's a cool thing to be a part of, um, you know, a good racetrack and a, and a, and a great series. So um, I'm looking forward to it and uh, putting on a good show for, um, hopefully we can uh, get a lot of fans in the stands. I know that uh, with COVID, hopefully, um, you know, we're up to a little more capacity so we, so we can see some smiles and some uh, some fun people. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's a really a good point. A lot of these tracks are starting to open up, and and the fans are uh, uh, coming to the track. Uh, and I know the drivers. I, I we hear the drivers all the time talk about how they miss having the fans not be in the stands. So it's really kind of cool to see that starting to uh, get back to what we're used to there. Um, but uh, I, I'm. I, I am super excited. I've got a feeling, Jesse, that there's not a lot that phases you. Uh, you're kind of a cool cucumber when it comes to pressure, and uh, I, I, it's one of the things that we like about you. Um, 
And then of the other tracks that are on the schedule for the Sioux Chief Showdown, uh, which one are you looking forward to the most, and which one do you think might be a little bit of a challenge for you? Yeah, I mean, I think every track is uh, unique in its own way. So I think for me, you know, kind of to reiterate what you said, you know, every track is, is you know, something that uh, it's they're all going to have their challenges, but you can't be phased by it. You just got to, you know, understand um, what you need to do to be faster and make sure that, you know, your side of the street, that you're doing everything that you can possibly do to give your team and your guys and your sponsors, your uh, manufacturer, the best chance that they have to win. Um, with your name on the hood. So um, I know overall, I think every track is um, going to be a lot of fun and, and I really can't wait for it. And um, overall, my prep is, is definitely getting better um, every race as every race goes on. So we're really looking forward to seeing how the season ends up. Well, I'm glad you're going to Iowa Speedway. I think that's one of the tracks you've raced at before, isn't it? Of all these tracks? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm kind of glad to see Iowa on this list. Uh, another one that I'm kind of excited for uh, is the Milwaukee Mile. Uh, I'm glad to see the Arkham Menard Series going to that track. But then you got to remember, I'm from the Midwest here, so those Midwest tracks are always a lot of fun for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Milwaukee will be a lot of fun. I get to go there in a super late and uh, in our car as well. So it should be a lot of fun. I get to get uh, a good amount of laps there too. Okay, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, Jesse, once again, we're so happy uh, that uh, we're into the next season and that you're going for this uh, Sioux Chief Showdown Championship. Uh, We really wish you the very best. I want to give you a chance uh, before you go, though, to do any shout-outs. I know you've already mentioned uh, a couple people on your team there, but if there's any other shout-outs that you want to Make before you say goodnight tonight, we're going to give you a chance here. Yeah, first of all, thank you to you guys for uh, having me on the show. And uh, I can't wait until next time. Thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in and listening. Uh, obviously, everybody knows I'm hooked up with uh, TRD, and I can't thank all those guys enough for giving me great opportunities. And we'll go see if we can put our uh, Toyota Mobile One Toyota Camry in victory lane this weekend at Toledo. All right. Sounds like a good plan to me. Okay, Jesse, uh, good luck this weekend, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this race and uh, some good results there. So thanks for being on the show here tonight. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Good night. All right. That was Jesse Love, and he is driving with Venturini Motorsports this weekend in the number 15 car with Venturini Motorsports. Uh, so, uh, a lot of fun talking to Jesse Love, Jay. Yeah, and and what we see, and I know we've said this before with a couple other drivers, the partner tri- partnership between BMR and Venturini Motorsports, between that West Series team and then the Arkham Menards Main Series, and, and the talent and caliber of drivers that they have brought through that program, uh, as you mentioned, the TRD development program, uh, has just been unbelievable. And we're looking at the current current ones right now. You mentioned uh, his teammate, Gracie Trotter. Can't even wait to mm-hmm. think about in the next couple of years who the next ones are. <laughs> I know. Uh, let's go down the uh, entry list. We've got a few minutes here, and I want to make sure we touch on everybody uh, that's going to be racing in this event. I was trying to count here. Uh, we've got two, four, six. 
8, 10, 12, uh, 14 drivers in this race. All right. Well, that matches up with my math. Uh, that's what I had come to as well. So I'll start at the top here in the 01. You got Owen Smith uh, in a Hillenburg Ford, and then uh, Nick Sanchez in the Max Siegel Rev Racing Chevrolet in the number two. Yes, indeed. So that's pretty cool. Uh, also, Dick Dohaney in the number 10. Uh, he's going to be racing an Andy Hillenburg Toyota this weekend. And Dick Dohaney is listed as the crew chief. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's just a fill-in name there or if he's actually going to be crew chiefing himself. But uh, in the number 11 is Tony Costantino. Uh, he'll be driving the other Andy Hillenburg Toyota, and his crew chief is Steve Barton. Well, the third Toyota for Hillenburg, and that'll be D.L. Wilson. Uh, and then actually, we got the fourth. pair we talked Okay, I thought, okay, yep. Uh, fourth team, that's the third Toyota, though. Uh, and then we mentioned oh, uh, Ty Gibbs, and he he is driving for the Gibbs, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing with Coy uh, Gibbs listed as the owner, Mark McFarlane as the crew chief there. Okay, next is our guest, Jesse Love. He'll be driving the Mobile One Toyota for Billy Venturini, and uh, Kevin Reed is his crew chief. And then another... Uh, car for Venturini is the number 20, uh, driven by Corey Heim. He'll be uh, crew chief by Shannon Roosh. Well, and a quick mention again, yeah, another Venturini, the 25, that'll be Gracie Trotter this week. Billy Venturini going to be crew chief, and for her, uh, I think that might be an extra feather in her cap there, obviously. And then <laughs> Alex Club out of Illinois. I don't know if that's one that's a favorite then of yours, Sharon, but... He'll be driving the Dave Richmond Ford with Brad Fry as the crew chief. I always like to cheer for our Illinois drivers. So uh, uh, in addition to Jesse and, and Gracie, we'll be, we'll be cheering for Alex too. Uh, all right. Then we've got uh, Adam Lemke. He'll be driving in the Mark Rett uh, Ford, and Mark Rett is going to be his crew chief. And then finally, uh, I have A.J. Moyer. Uh, in the uh, Wayne Peterson Ford with Michael Peterson as the crew chief. And the final two on the entry list here, a Thad Moffitt in the uh, J- Johnny Gray uh, Ford for uh, Trinity, North Carolina. Derek Smith is the crew chief. And Brad Smith with his own team there coming out of Shelby Township, Michigan, uh, in a Chevrolet with Jeff Smith as the crew chief. Okay, the- well... Uh, we've got a couple of people who've already won with uh, Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs. Are we going to have a repeat winner or a new winner uh, this weekend, Jay? That's one of, one of those you hear all the time on Race Hub, uh, one or two drivers versus the field. And uh, no disrespect to our guest tonight. Uh, I hope he does good and can get the win. But as a betting man, I think I'd have to take the two drivers against the field. Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs are going to be tough to beat. Yes, both of them are very tough competitors, but I got to tell you, I said it on the show, Jesse uh, Love is a cool cucumber. Uh, He doesn't let the pressure get to him too much, and I I got a feeling he's going to do pretty well this weekend. And I think Gracie Trotter is going to put on a good show for everybody this weekend as well. So 
since you took the uh, two winners, I'm going to go with Gracie and and Jesse. <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. Uh, I know we got what one more minute here before we hit the top of the hour. One thing I want to point out: we talk about uh, him running a part-time schedule, Jesse Love, for that Sioux Chief Showdown. Looking down the list when it comes to the regular Arkham Menard Series standings, three, four, five of the top ten are not on the entry list. So there's going to be some shakeup in the main Arkham Menard Series standings, and then we'll establish the Sioux Chief Showdown points in race one out of ten. Yes, and and they have four races in already in this uh, regular Arkham Menard Series. Uh, and these 10 races are all part of the Arkham Menard Series Championship. So these guys are going to be racing hard. There's no doubt about it uh, in the fifth race of the season for that series. Uh, and then also I want to make sure we go back and tell everybody when the other series are going to be racing again. Uh, the Arkham Menard Series uh, is racing this weekend at Toledo, but also on June 5th is the Arkham Menard Series West. And they're racing 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific at Sonoma Raceway, uh, the General Tire 200, and that will be live streamed on NBC Gold's Track Pass. Then the East is going to be racing at Southern National 200 on June the 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, that race, uh, again, is the Southern National 200 uh, at uh, Southern National Motorsports Park and will also be live-streamed on TrackPath for NBC Gold members. So uh, we've got some racing coming up here in the ARCA series, Jay. Certainly do, but better than that, we got new races for the top three series of NASCAR coming up at COTA. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm super excited. I was excited uh, when the news came out that they were going to be racing at COTA. Uh, and uh, I'm still excited about these races. Uh, let's start with the Camping World Truck Series Toyota Tundra 225 at the Circuit of the Americas this Saturday, May the 22nd, at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, Fox Sports 1 will have the pre-race coverage starting at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and there's radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, they'll be racing a distance of 139.81 miles over 41 laps. Uh, the first stage is 12 laps. The second stage is 14 laps. And uh, actually, it's uh, more than 14, right? It's uh, 16 laps. No, it is 14. 14 is right. <laughs> and then the final stage ends on the last lap, 41. So, uh, again, uh, this is the Circuit of the Americas, a very technical track, and uh, nobody's raced there before. They may have tested. They may, they'll have some practice time, but nobody has raced on this track uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series before. Well, and we, when we look at that, we'll talk about the Sunoco Rookie of the Year uh, update for the Camping World Truck Series. As they came out of Darlington, Carson Horsevore, has now a 19-point lead over Chandler Smith in the standings at 195 to 176. Haley Deegan is third with 131 points, while it's Chase Purdy, who has 93 points in fourth 
and Chris Wright in fifth with 44 points. But as Sharon mentioned, this weekend, everybody's a rookie when it comes to Dakota. <laughs> yes, indeed. And let's not forget, uh, the Triple Truck Challenge presented by Wampley is still on, and Sheldon Creed won the opening round of the Triple Truck Challenge last this season at Darlington Raceway, and that netted him a $50,000 bonus. Uh, the win marked Creed's third Triple Truck Challenge victory after winning the bonus last year at Daytona as well as Worldwide Technology Raceway and Gateway. Uh, this weekend's race at Coda will be the second leg of this year's edition of the truck, Triple Truck Challenge, and then it will wrap up at Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, here in uh, the next week or so. So uh, Sheldon Creed's hoping he can make it a double. Well, I'm talking about a rookie in several aspects. Austin, Texas native Logan Bearden uh, to make his debut at CODA. And Logan Bearden, who's a native of Austin, Texas, he'll be looking to make his NASCAR National Series debut. It'll be with Nice Motorsports this weekend. 25-year-old super late model uh, racer on the West Coast, and he'll be driving that number 44 Chevrolet this weekend. Now, Nice will also field a truck with Bailey Curry, He'll be in the number 45. All right. Uh, also, another driver making a debut this weekend is Arkham Art Series driver Jack Wood. Uh, he's making his Camping World Truck Series debut uh, this weekend at Coda, driving the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet. The team announced that Wood has one top five and two top ten finishes in four Arkham and Art Series starts so far this season. So uh, a couple of uh, other people making debuts in the, in the truck series this week. Well, that should make it all that more interesting um, for sure. But when we look at it, we've got to look back to last weekend. Creed and Chevrolet ended Toyota's 2020 dominance. I don't know why that says 2020 should be 2021, but uh, leading into Darlington Raceway two weeks ago, Toyota had dominated Victory Lane thus far in the 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series season, winning all seven races to date. And that all changed last Friday night when Sheldon Creed piloted his number two GMS Racing Chevrolet to the win over Thor Sport Racing's number 99 Toyota, driven by Ben Rhodes. The win also ended a five-race win streak by Kyle Busch Motorsports itself that had seen John Hunter Nemechek and Kyle Busch each win a pair of races, while Martin Truex Jr. had won the race on the Bristol Dirt. And Darlington marked Creed's first win of the season and first since he won uh, first win since he won the season finale at Phoenix in November, which won him the season championship. He is just one race off the pace now from where he earned his first victory of that title season. Came last year, it came in the seventh race of the year at Kentucky. Overall, Creed won five races last year, so he's got one out of five to go or, uh, so far for this year. Okay, well, here's another Midwest driver that's uh, making a return to NASCAR, and he's going to be racing at Coda in the Camping World Truck Series uh, this week, this weekend. 
So Paul Menard has been tapped to pilot the number 66 Toyota for Thor Sport Racing. Menard last competed in NASCAR's National Series race in 2019. And although he only has six Truck Series starts to his credit, his most recent NASCAR win came in 2015 with the Xfinity Series on a long and sweeping Road of America uh, circuit in his native Wisconsin. In his six previous truck series starts, uh, five in 2003 and one in 2007, Menard had one top ten at Kansas, and none of those starts were on a road course. In 471 cup series starts, Menard recorded 20 top five and 69 top ten results. So uh, really cool to see Paul Menard back behind the wheel uh, in the Camping World Truck Series. It certainly is uh, going to have some tough competition. We talk about this, uh, even taking a turn at the Circuit of Americas. That weekend off uh, for the Camping World Truck Series, they'll be back in action, and it will be on Saturday, May 22nd, for the Toyota Tundra 225 on this new track for NASCAR, the Circuit of the Americas. And the race will be the first in the doubleheader that also features the NASCAR Xfinity Series later on in the uh, afternoon. I mentioned this will mark the first time that NASCAR has raced on Coda, which is a 3.41-mile road course, and it's located just outside Austin, Texas. And it's a multi-elevational track that has 20 scenic turns for these trucks to navigate. Now, this weekend is also the return of uh, and will feature qualifying and practice for the Camping World Truck Series. Qualifying will be compri- comprised of two rounds. The first round will be at 25 minutes and determine the 36 trucks that will make up the field for Saturday's race. There are 44 uh, trucks entered into this weekend's race. The lap times from that round will determine those starting positions uh, from uh, 13th through 36th on the grid. Now following the five minute break, After that opening round, the 12 trucks that passed the fastest lap times during that opening round will move on to contend for the Cometric Gaskets Pole Award in that final round. That round will be 10 minutes in length, and they'll determine positions first through 12 on the grid. So we've seen this in the past where they break it into two rounds. Now, Ben Rhodes, the 2021 uh, Daytona Road Course uh, winner, Brett Moffitt, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in 2019. John Hunter Nemechek, also at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in 2016. And Sheldon Creed, the 2020 Daytona Road Course uh, winner, are the only active regular drivers in the Camping World Truck Series who have wins on road courses. Matt Crafton, Nemechek, and Creed each have runner-up finishes on a road course with Crafton leading all regulars with four top five finishes on the road course. Nemechek and Creed each only have three top fives. So if you're looking for a top pick there, which I think I'm out of luck because I think they've already been picked, uh, those would be the ones (laughs) to look at. That's what happens when you win. (laughs) Yeah. You, You get to be the last one to pick, right? I got to look. I think there's two, uh, yeah, Andy and Tommy got to go behind me yet. Oh, okay. 
Well, let's go ahead and give the update on the uh, truck series. Andy and I tried to do our best on Monday night, um, but I, I think you do a better job of it. So why don't you go ahead and give us the update on the uh, fantasy group here with Panther Racing. All right, uh, we'll start with we'll, we'll start with the truck series since that's what we're talking about right now. Uh, Sharon, you do still lead. Uh, it's a marginal points lead, but it's you're at 37. Andy is at 32. I'm at 29. Mike is at 28. Sam is at 28. Tommy is at 28. Owen's got 20, and James has 14. So. Six out of the eight right now are within nine points on the truck series side of it. Wow. On the Xfinity side, Mike's the one that's got that hairline of an edge. He's at 42 points. Andy is at 40. James at 36. I'm at 35. Owen's at 33. Sam's at 31. Sharon's at 30. And Tommy is at 25. Now, Tommy did get a, uh, a late start, an even bigger gap here in the Xfinity Series, but that's still only 17 points top to bottom. Yeah, this one on has not been my cup, best series. <laughs> on the cup side, I was able to uh, retake the lead here from you, Sharon. I got 68 points. You're at 64. Mike is right on your heels at 63. And then Sam is at 59. Owen at 40, uh, I'm sorry, Owen's at 57. A little bit of a jump back to James at 46, Tommy at 37, Andy at 25 there. So there we got about six of us that are within that 10, 11 points. And if you can't do that math in your head, I'll do it for you here. Total points for the three series. Are you ready for this? Mike's at 133. I see it. I'm at. I'm at 132. Sharon, you are at 131. One it's point between close. each of us in the top three. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I hope to change all that this weekend. All right. Sam's at 118. <laughs> Owen's at 110. And Andy, James, 97 and 96. And Tommy's up to 90 there. So uh, only 10 points shy of breaking the 100 points. And, uh, again, Tommy, even being out a few races, he has climbed back into these all oh, yeah. of these uh, real well. He is. He is. And wait till the playoffs begin. He'll be able to double up on this. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, while we're still on this, uh, I saw that you did uh, slide in and pick Matt Crafton. So it was kind of a backup thought, but I'll announce it here and type it into the group. But I'm going to go with Kaz Grala then. I thought about him. I almost went with Kaz. Kaz is a good road, road course racer. Yeah, I had it narrowed down to when it came to just you left. I was like, Crafton has been so so Crafton has been so solid across all road courses that I looked at. So I was like, well, I'll go with him. But I had to just in case you took him, which you did. I was like, well, I'll go with uh, Kaz <laughs> Brawl as my backup then. Okay. Okay, so we'll see what happens this weekend out there at Circuit of the Americas uh, and uh, uh, the road the uh, road course for the trucks, Xfinity, and the Cup Series. So all three series 
racing this weekend out at uh, Circuit of the Americas. Uh, I'm not going to be able to make it out there Saturday, but I am really hoping against all hope that I can make it out there for Sunday's race in the Cup Series. Um, I've been wanting to see NASCAR race at Circuit of the Americas for a while, ever since they built that track. And uh, now that they are, I hate to be here and not be able to get out there to the track. I was I was going to ask if you had an update on that, if you had uh, either talked your, your your son into letting you go or going with you, or if you had bullied him bullied him into it. You know, you're still uh, still his mom. You can bully him into it. <laughs> well, well, at the very least, I'm hoping. I got to say this quietly because I don't think he knows yet. I'm hoping to take one of my grandsons. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the uh, Xfinity Series. I know we're a little bit ahead here, but we always run out of time for the Cup Series, so we might as well roll with it. Uh, the Xfinity Series, the next race is the Pit Box 250 at Circuit of the Americas. That race is also on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Fox Sports 1 will have pre-race coverage starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time uh, with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 156 miles over 46 laps. Stage 1 will end on lap 14, stage 2 on lap 30, and then the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 46. So the Xfinity Series is going to put on a good show. They always love to do this uh, road course racing, so I think we've got a lot to look forward to. Jay, are you still with me? <laughs> he might have the mute button on. I don't know what happened to Jay. All right, Jay's calling back in, so I guess I'll go ahead and start here. Uh, the 100th start for Tommy Joe Martins is this weekend. He's making his 100th Xfinity Series start this weekend at Coda. Uh, Diamond Gusset Gene Company will serve us as the primary sponsor for the number 44 Chevrolet. And this is the first ever company that has sponsored Martins. Martins Motorsports is sitting in the top 20 in owner's points following a top 20 finish at Dover. So uh, to get their first ever sponsor after that is uh, kind of a big deal here. And Jay still hasn't called back in. I hope he can get in. Uh, I guess I'll roll with the next. Uh, topic as well. Harvick is doubling down at Coda. Kevin Harvick will pull double duty this weekend as it was announced on Monday that he's going to run the number five Ford for BJ McLeod Motorsports in Saturday's Xfinity Series race sponsored by Rush Truck Center. Harvick hasn't competed in the, the Xfinity Series since 2018, but he is the 2014 Cup Series champion and can use the additional laps to prepare for the inaugural Cup race on Sunday. Now, VGA McLeod Motorsports has competed in the Xfinity Series since 2016. The organization's best finish in the series is fifth at Daytona with, David, with driver David Starr, in 2017. Harvick is also a two-time NASCAR Xfinity Series champion. He has 47 career victories in the Xfinity Series. Okay, Jay is back. Uh, I'm trying to bring him into the queue now. So there he is. 
Yeah, I'll let you uh, I think I talk about Cindric. <laughs> All right. You pulling mentioned double Harvick duty. doubling down. And Cindric is another one that's going to be uh, pulling that double duty there in Texas. As he's going to make his fifth Cup Series start of 2021 at Coda this weekend. Now, Cindric has a road, road racing background and is always out front on road courses in the Xfinity Series. So that's a good place for him to do it. He'll pilot the number 33 Team Penske Ford on Sunday with sponsor coming from PureTech. In his four starts in the Cup Series, he has an average finish of 21.8 with a best finish of 15th, and that was at the Daytona 500, a super speedway, back in February. Okay. Also, uh, Tyler Reddick is running for Jordan Anderson Racing at COTA. Jordan Anderson Racing announced that Cup Series driver Tyler Reddick will drive the number 31 Bomarito Automotive Group uh, Chevrolet in the Xfinity Series at COTA on Saturday. Reddick, who is the back-to-back Xfinity Series champion in 2018 and 19, will use this time behind the wheel on Saturday to help him out before Sunday's race in the Cup Series. Jordan Anderson Racing is competing in the Xfinity Series races that they're eligible for in the current COVID-19 qualifying protocol with cars from RCR and engines supplied by ECR. Well, you see a lot of those drivers just tried to get track time and some teams able to pick up on that. Uh, I think we'll see some benefit to the teams for that. Uh, one thing I want to look at here before we get into the standings, the manufacturer standings as we head into COTA. Uh, Chevrolet is currently leading that manufacturer's championship standings right now with the six wins and 376 points. However, with Austin Sendrick's win last weekend, Ford's gap in points became smaller as they now have 345 points and three wins. Toyota has the one win this season and sits at 341 points. Did I go out again, Sharon? That was me this time. I was on mute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll talk about bubble trouble next. Who's in and who's out in the Xfinity Series playoffs? Points leader Austin Sindrick got his third victory of the season last week at Dover International Speedway, and he holds on to the playoff point standings lead with Justin Algauer, A.J. Allmendinger, Jeb Burton, and Maya Snyder all in on wins along with him. Now, two drivers without wins yet this season uh, that are in comfortable points right now are Joe Gibbs Racing teammates, Daniel Hemrick and Harrison Burton. Hemrick continues to be the highest-ranked driver without a win in six with a 144-point cushion ahead of the playoff cutoff. Now, Harrison Burton is behind him in seventh at 132 points ahead of the cut line. The next five drivers in the playoff outlook are all within 75 points of the postseason cutoff. That would be Noah Gregson at plus 69 points, uh, Justin Haley plus 61, Jeremy Clements plus 46, Michael Annette just 13 points above the cut line, and Brandon Jones at nine points above that cut line. 
Now, Gregson's rough start to this season has come full circle after a couple of really strong finishes in a row and winning three dash-for-cash installments so far. After Dover, he jumped another spot above the cut line to eighth. Clements has been in the playoff standings for the entire season, showcasing his consistency and talent uh, of the small family-owned race team. Clements has posted four top ten finishes this season, and he's riding a string of top 15 finishes into this weekend. Next up, we have Joe, race, Joe Gibbs Racing's Brandon Jones. He's had a pretty up-and-down season so far with four DNFs, the 30th or worse, including a 35th place finish at Dover just last weekend. The Jordan Natives' playoff hopes are on life support with him dropping to 12. That's the final spot in the playoff transfer uh, position, just nine points above that cut line. And after Darlington, Brandon Brown fell out of the top 12 in the driver's standings, but he has been hanging on to 13th, the first spot outside the postseason cutoff. Heading into the Circuit of the Americas this weekend, Brown is looking to get back in playoff contention. He's put up four top tens this season, including an eighth-place finish at the Daytona Road Course earlier this season. So... Uh, the other drivers that are in that bubble on the outside looking in include Riley Erbst at 206 points. He's 34 points back. Ryan Sieg, 44 points back at 196. Tommy Joe Martins at 185. That's 55 points back. And Landon Castle in 17th at 73 points back. A win, though, could put any one of those drivers above that cut line very quickly. Well, and any road course uh, provides that opportunity, and an unknown road course like Coda, I think uh, doubles or triples that possibility. So <laughs> this weekend going to be so, so important. So true. All right, in the Xfinity Series, let's take a look at the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings, and that has, uh, as of recent, been all about Josh Berry. Now, he continues to lead that Sunoco Rookie, of the, uh, Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings after his runner-up finish last weekend at Dover International Speedway. He currently sits at 222 points and has picked up four awards throughout the year. Ty Gibbs, who started out as looking like the heavy favorite, he's at 187 points. He's picked up two awards. Ryan Vargas has picked up four awards but it sits at 89 points, and he is the one that is running full-time this year, so we'll see how that levels out. And Jordan Anderson and Sam Mayer uh, both still listed as zero as they've not made a start yet. Jordan Anderson actually putting somebody else in that car this weekend, uh, as Sharon read earlier. So when we look at Josh uh, Junior Motorsports, Josh Berry, he took the lead in the Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings after Darlington Raceway. And then he extended his lead over Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs, who had been in the lead, as I mentioned, since his win at the Daytona Road Course early in the season, now up to 35 points. In the nine starts so far this season, Barry got his first ever Xfinity Series win. That came at Martinsville and has three top fives and five top ten finishes to his name. 
He's also led a total of 151 laps on the year and has an average start of 14.9 with an average finish of 17.1. Ty Gibbs is also running the part-time schedule for Joe Gibbs Racing this season, and in his first ever start, which came at the Daytona Road Course, he won after starting 15th. He's made five starts so far in 2021, has four top five finishes and four top tens. His average finish is 6.0, and average start is 20.2. And I talked about JD Motorsports' Ryan Vargas. He's still sitting third in the rookie standings with 89 points. In nine starts so far this season for JD Motorsports, Vargas has a best finish of 18th, coming in the season opener at Daytona. Most recently, he finished 26th at Dover. And if I'm not mistaken, they have somebody else in their car this weekend, and he will be back at Charlotte Motor Speedway. All right. Uh, We've talked about the rookies. Let's talk now about the road course ringers ready for the Circuit of the Americas. Now, NASCAR Xfinity Series driver standings, the leader, Austin Sendrick, is known for running very well on the road courses, but he's not alone in this category this weekend. The Xfinity Series has a lot of really talented drivers on road courses, and this weekend is going to be no different. Cindric has 11 total Xfinity Series wins uh, wins for his career, and four of those at road courses. His first ever win was at Watkins Glen International in 2019. Earlier this season, Cindric finished runner-up at the Daytona Road Course after winning the season opener at Daytona. There's also A.J. Allmendinger, who won at the Charlotte Roval last season. He finished fourth last season at the Daytona Road Course. And of Allmendinger's six Xfinity Series victories, four of them were on road courses. Also joining them this weekend is Andy Lally. He's joining our motorsports this weekend, chasing a victory on the road course. Lally finished fifth at the Daytona Road Course last season. He also has more than 30 wins in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, Remember Miguel Paluto? Well, he's going to be behind the wheel of the number eight Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports on Saturday. This is going to be his fourth Xfinity Series start. Earlier this season, he ran in the number eight at the Daytona Road Course and finished 35th. Started 35th, but he finished in 7th. Uh, there's also Preston Pardis. He's also going to be back behind the wheel this weekend for David Gilliland Racing. Uh, Pardis has seven starts in the Xfinity Series, all coming on road courses since 2019. He, he has his best finish of eighth at the Road of America just last year. Most recently, he finished 33rd on the Daytona Road Course earlier this season. There's also Spencer Pompelli. He will be making his Xfinity Series debut with JD Motorsports with Gary Keller uh, again this Saturday. Pompelli is a 20-year veteran of professional sports car racing, and he holds multiple victories in the IMSA World Challenge and Continental Challenge. He is a two-time class winner in the Rolex 24 at Daytona and the 2016 Continental Sports Car Challenge ST Champion. Also noteworthy, Spencer has competed in the 24 Hours of Le Mans four times. 
Chris Wright is also making his second career Xfinity Series start this weekend for Sam Hunt Racing at Circuit of the Americas. He first came at the Daytona Road Course where he started 19th and finished in 18th. Now, here's a name we haven't heard in a while. Said heads can rejoice. Their favorite driver is returning to NASCAR. Boris Said is going to run this Saturday at COTA for MBM Motorsports in the number 13. His last Xfinity Series starts was back in 2015, and this will be his 29th career start in the Xfinity Series with his first coming in 1998. He has one win, and that came in 2010 at Circuit de, uh, del... I can never pronounce this right. Uh, Villeneuve in Canada driving for RAB Racing. He also has seven top fives and all came at road courses. Most recently, he finished fourth in 2015 at Watkins Glen. So a lot of new names on the entry list this weekend, and a lot of them very good on the road courses. Well, and we've talked about this in the past, that we thought the road, uh, road course ringers was kind of a thing of the past as the drivers had become accustomed to the tracks. But this being a new track, I think these drivers that you just talked about uh, a couple in particular really do have a shot at being the road course ringer once again. All righty. Now we talked about the standings leader, uh, Austin Sindrick, as he added to his victory total. Driving for Team Penske, Austin Sindrick was victorious last weekend at Dover International Speedway for the fir- third time this season in that number 22 Ford. The reigning NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, took the lead from Algar with 51 laps remaining in that race at Dover and then took home another checkered flag. As we mentioned, Josh Berry, he passed his junior motorsports teammate Algar with 28 laps to go to finish second in the race and win the fourth and final Xfinity Series Dash for Cash $100,000 bonus. Algar finished third after dominating the day, and he was followed by College Racing's A.J. Allmendinger in fourth, and Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs in fifth. Now, Gibbs had a strong weekend overall at Dover, leading all 125 laps on Friday night to win the Arkham Menards Series East race prior to that fifth-place finish on Saturday in the Xfinity Series race. Algar and Barry had run out front most of the race there, with Algar winning the first stage and Barry winning the second stage. But Sendrick, who finished eighth at the end of stage one, and then third in stage two, rallied to the front uh, for his series best third victory. His 3.786 second margin of victory showcases what he's able to accomplish in his Ford. Harrison Burton, Mike Lynette, Ryan Sieg, Daniel Hemrick, and Brandon Brown rounded out the top 10 there at Dover. Now this weekend, again, they'll be making their uh, way to the Circuit of America for the inaugural Pit Boss 250. I mentioned it's the first time that a NASCAR Xfinity Series, as well as any NASCAR Series, are hitting that Austin, Texas track for the Xfinity race. It'll be 46 laps or 156 miles. Stage one will end on lap 14. Stage uh, two ending on lap 30. And then the final uh, checkered flag will be on lap 46. So it's what, 14, 16, and 16, it looks like, if we broke that down correctly now. 
Okay, thank you, Jay. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, next up, we'll talk here about the NASCAR Cup Series, the Echo Park Texas Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas this Sunday, May the 23rd at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the race coverage will start on Fox Sports 1 at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 231 miles over 68 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 15, stage 2 on lap 32, and the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 68. So uh, this is the one that I'm really excited about, the NASCAR Cup Series at CODA. Well, and it's going to be interesting here. First off, we're not going to talk about a milestone, but a streak. As William Byron surfs a top 10 streak, hot streak for that matter, into Coda. Driver for Hendrick Motorsports, William Byron, has been considerably consistent this season, posting 11 consecutive top 10 finishes from the third race in the season at Homestead Miami Speedway, where he won to just last weekend at Dover International Speedway. Now, the North Carolina native, Byron heads to the Circuit of America's streak alive. Byron is currently tied with Joey Logano from 2015 for the third most consecutive string of top 10 finishes among active drivers, having 11 each. They fall behind Kevin Harvick in 2020 and Kyle Busch from 2018 into 2019, where they each had 13 consecutive top 10 finishes. So those are your top four, as it will. Harvick and Bush tied at first. Joey Logano and William Byron tied at second with 11. That pushes Brad Keselowski's 2015 streak of 10 back to fifth. Now, Harvick and Bush's streaks began in one season and ended in the next season, whereas Logano and Byron's were all achieved in one season. Logano's streak of 11 straight top 10s uh, also included five wins in 2015. When we look at all-time NASCAR Cup Series record for the most consecutive top 10 finishes, that is 24. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, set by that Herb is. Thomas uh, back in 1953. Started on the 17th of May and run through October uh, of that same year. And then it was later tied by Joe Weatherly in 1962. He did it from July, mid-July through November. A NASCAR Hall of Famer and Fox Sports TV analyst, Jeff Gordon, holds the record for the most consecutive top 10 finishes by a Hendrick Motorsports driver with 21 straight top 10s, and that was from June 14th of 98 to February 14th of 1999. Gordon also put up 14 straight top 10s from June 18th to 95 to October 1st of 1995. That would be part of why he's a Hall of Famer, huh? All right. Uh, Matthew McConaughey was named the Grand Marshal at Coda this week. It was announced that the Texas native uh, Matthew McConaughey, an award-winning actor, best-selling author, and owner of Austin FC and the professor and minister of culture at the University of Texas 
has been named the Grand Marshal for the NASCAR Cup Series Echo Park Automotive Texas Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas. It's the second time that McConaughey has served as a Grand Marshal role for NASCAR, and he also gave the command to start the engines at the Daytona 500 back in 2005. So pretty excited to see Matthew McConaughey at the track this weekend as well. Most certainly it'll be interesting uh, for sure. So let's take a look here at the playoff bubble for the Cup Series. And that new venue provides new opportunity to win. With 10 drivers already locked into the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs and one spot reserved for the points leader without a win if it happens, and that's currently Denny Hamlin, that would leave just five spots still up for grabs um, by virtue of a win or on points as the series heads to the Circuit of Americas this weekend. The NASCAR Cup Series has reached the halfway point in the 2021 regular season schedule, and the time is of the essence now for teams to solidify their position in the point postseason. Uh, one driver along the playoff cut line riding momentum right now, that's Richard Childress Racing's Tyler Reddick. After dropping as far as 28th in the points following Atlanta back on March 21st, the 25-year-old from Corning, California, has put up five of his six top ten finishes this season and clawed his way back up to 16th in the series driver standings, which right now is the final transfer spot for the playoffs. With his eighth-place finish at Dover last weekend, Reddick is now 17 points up on Matt DiBenedetto, uh, and is in, who is in 17th in the driver's standings, that being the first spot outside the playoff cut line. Of the drivers already locked into the playoffs by wins or being the points leader, but are above the postseason cut line, you got Kevin Harvick, who's 15 up, Chase Elliott, 146 up, Austin Dillon, 60 to the good, Kurt Bush, uh, Chris Busher, sorry, at plus 28, Tyler Reddick, plus 17, and again, getting that first of the 2021 season uh, is crucial with the parity of competition this season. With 13 races left in this regular season and already 10 different winners in the first 13 races of the season, the odds of five or more different winners happening are not that far-fetched, though it would be the first time more than 15 drivers have won in the NASCAR Cup Series since going to this elimination-style playoff format uh, back in 2000, or from 2014 through 2021. The previous record of the most wins during that time was 15, coming in 2017. Last season, the NASCAR Cup Series produced 13 different winners, which was led by Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick with nine victories. Harvick, though, is still one of those looking for his first win of the 2021. He finished in the top 10 uh where, uh, yeah, he finished in the top 10 uh, when he finished six at the Daytona road course earlier this season. thought there was a chart there with it, but I'm not seeing it now. Oh, that's above me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and look at uh, the road courses as a great place 
for a driver looking for his first win. With all the unknowns and the outstanding unpredictability of competition this season, this week's new venue, the Circuit of the Americas, could offer a great opportunity for a driver to grab a first-time win. Uh, road course events are notorious for granting drivers their first career win in the Cup Series. The most recent example of that was at the Daytona Road Course earlier this season when Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell grabbed his first Cup career victory. Even the sport's most popular driver, Chase Elliott, now considered a road course favorite, grabbed his first career Cup Series win at Washington Flint International in 2018. In total, 16 different drivers in the NASCAR Cup Series have earned their first Cup Series career victory on a road course. So we mentioned uh, Christopher Bell winning this year at Daytona and uh, Chase Elliott at Watkins Glen. But uh, A.J. Allmendinger also won at Watkins Glen his first race in 2014. Marcus Ambrose. Uh, another road course uh, driver won in August at Watkins Glen. Juan Pablo Montoya won in June of 2007 at Sonoma. Steve Park in uh, Watkins Glen in 2000. Bill Elliott at Riverside. And uh, in fact, these next several drivers I'm going to mention all won their first race at Riverside. Bill Elliott did it in '83. Ricky Rudd, and that was November of 83. Ricky Rudd did it in June of 83. Tim Richmond in June of 82. Mark Donahue, January of 73. Ray Elder in January of uh, 71. Daryl Derringer in November of 63. Dan Gurney in January of 63. Eddie Gray in June of 1958. Then there's Parnelli Jones, uh, who did it in August at Kitsap. Chuck Stevenson won his first race at Lancaster in November of 1955. This weekend, there are 19 different drivers entered at the Circuit of the Americas, and they're all looking for their very first NASCAR Cup Series win. So uh, there's a good chance it could happen. Most certainly can, and like I said, it's going to be interesting. We kind of thought that had been a way of the past, but uh, we'll see how it comes out this weekend at the Circuit of Americas. Now, we do have to look at somebody looking to ring the bell, and that's Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, Christopher (laughs) Bell at CODA. And he surprised many of the critics with his early season win coming at the Daytona road course. But now the 26-year-old from Norman, Oklahoma, has the opportunity to continue to prove the win was not a fluke as he goes for back-to-back road course wins this weekend in that Echo Park, Texas Grand Prix at the Circuit of Americas. Bell led twice for five laps en route to his first career NASCAR Cup Series win at the Daytona Road Course back in February, passing Joey Logano with just two laps remaining to take that win in a wild, rain-filled event. Bell is no stranger to running well at road courses. In the NASCAR Xfinity Series, he had a victory at Road America coming back in 2019. Keep that in mind when we go there with the Cup Series later on this year. (laughs) And Bell, currently 12th in points, he has posted that one win coming at the Daytona Road Course, 
two top fives and five top tens so far this season. Okay. Well, we're calling up the road aces to join the fun this Sunday. Three drivers that have been tapped to showcase their road case road course racing skills this weekend are worth keeping an eye on. They include uh, Team Penske's Austin Sendrick, College Racing's AJ Allmendinger, and Live Fast Motorsports' Kyle Tilley. Now, Team Penske's 2020 Xfinity Series champion, Austin Sendrick, is piloting, as we mentioned earlier, that number 33-4 this weekend, and he'll have to qualify on time in order to make the race. But if he does, he anticipates quite the event. Sendrick has made four cup starts this season for Team Penske, posting an average finish of 21.8. Before competing in the NASCAR, in NASCAR, Sendrick learned the ropes in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship from 2017 to 19, gaining valuable road racing skills. Plus, the up-and-coming star has posted four of his 11 career Xfinity Series wins on road courses. Now, Colleague Racing has entered their part-time driver uh, driving the number 16 Chevrolet with A.J. Allmendinger behind the wheel this weekend. Allmendinger's lone NASCAR Cup Series victory came at Watkins Glen in 2014. He also has four road course wins in the Xfinity Series. Allmendinger has road course wins at uh, C.A.R.T. in CART and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in 2021's Rolex 24. He competed in the first road course on the schedule of this season at Daytona and started 34th due to the metric qualifying and raced his way up to 7th place finish. He will also be competing in the Xfinity Series race on Saturday. Last but certainly not least, is Litvask Motorsports' pick for the inaugural Circuit of the Americas event, driver Kyle Tilley. Tilley is an accomplished road racer from Bath, England, and uh, that he is going to pilot the number 78 Ford this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Tilley currently competes in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in the Aero Motorsports or RECA uh, LMP2 07. Tilly, alongside drivers Dwight Merriman, Ryan Dalzell, uh, Paul Loop, Chatton, all finished sixth overall and won the LPM2 class in this season's Rolex 24 at Daytona. This weekend, though, will be Tilly's NASCAR National Series debut. So uh, he could be uh, one of those guys that uh, people overlook this weekend. Certainly could be, but we're going to take a look, too, at some of the drivers that have become road warriors, uh, the Cup Series best on the road courses. Now, there are so many unknowns for the team this weekend, and a lot of eyes will be on the known road course ringers that we've talked about in the NASCAR Cup Series. Specifically, I guess we're calling him a ringer already, 2020 Series champion Chase Elliott, but with good reason. He leads all active drivers in road course career wins with five victories. But Elliott isn't the only active driver entered into this weekend with road course wins on his resume, as a total of nine drivers entered into this weekend have a former NASCAR Cup Series road course victory. 
We mentioned Chase Elliott with five. He's come at the Charlotte Road Course in 2019 and 20, the Daytona Road Course in 2020, and then a pair at Watkins Glen in 2018 and 19. Next up with four is Martin Truex Jr. He's got wins at Sonoma in 13, 18, and 19, and Watkins Glen in 2017. Kyle Busch has split his four, two in Sonoma in 2008 and 15, and then Watkins Glen in 2008 and 2013. Kevin Harvick also has two in his are split, Sonoma in 17, Watkins Glen way back in 2006. Drivers with one, we got Christopher Bell, mentioned his came on this year at the Daytona Road Course. Ryan Blaney won the inaugural at the Charlotte Road Course in 2018. Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano and AJ Allmendinger each have one at Watkins Glen. Hamlin's in six, Logano's in 15, and Allmendinger's in 14. Kurt Busch's goes to Sonoma back in 2011. Now, three drivers are real thirsty for a win this season. Mentioned this a couple of times, and I can't believe we're still reading it that way, but last year, Kevin Harvick, nine wins. Denny Hamlin, seven wins, and Chase Elliott, five wins, as they led the series last year in wins, uh, scoring victories in 21 of 36 races, but have goose eggs so far in the win column this year. Now, that could change this weekend. If Elliott secures his sixth NASCAR Cup Series road course victory this weekend, he'll become the seventh driver all time with six or more road course victories, joining the all-time series leader and NASCAR Hall of Famer's Jeff Gordon, who has nine road course wins. Tony Stewart has eight. Bobby Allison, Richard Petty, Rusty Wallace, Ricky Rudd all have six, which is where Elliott would be. Now, he almost got his sixth win at the Daytona Road Course earlier this season. He's led a race-high 44 laps but was shuffled in a late restart that took him off course, and he rebounded to finish 21st. Former road course winners to contend for the victory this weekend as well. Six of the nine former Cup road course winners entered into this weekend finished in the top 10 at the Daytona road course earlier this season. Mentioned Christopher Bell winning. Joey Logano was second. Denny Hamlin third. Kurt Busch fourth. Kevin Harvick was sixth. And A.J. Allmendinger seventh. Several of the cup drivers mentioned are pulling double duty this weekend to log those much-needed extra laps. Uh, One such driver we mentioned, Kevin Harvick, who will be in both the Cup Series and Xfinity Series races this weekend. He'll be joined by fellow cup drivers Austin Dillon, Kyle Busch, Cole Custer, and Tyler Reddick in that Xfinity Series race on Saturday. Gosh, it's so tough picking which driver is going to come out on top on Sunday. It certainly oh. is. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Cup Series uh, season embraces road racing. For the first time in the NASCAR Cup Series season, uh, from 1949 to 21, the schedule calls for the series to visit seven different road course tracks. It all started at Daytona International Speedway's road course. Uh, Now we're at Circuit of the Americas in Austin. Watkins Glen International coming up. Sonoma Raceway. Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. 
Charlotte Motor Speedway's road course, the Roval, and Road America are all on the schedule. The previously, the most road courses in the Cup Series schedule uh, competed in one season was four, and that was back in 64 and in 1957. So uh, the winner, let's see, Cup Series Augusta road course winner was Fireball Roberts. Uh, in the 64 season, he won uh, in November of 63. Uh, Bridgehampton Road Course, Billy Wade won that one in, in July of 64. Then there's Riverside, won by Dan Gurney in January of 64. And Watkins Glen Road, of course, in uh, July of 64 was won by Billy Wade again. The other uh, season that that happened in 1957, it started at Kitsap Road Course with Parnelli Jones winning in August of that year. Uh, at Lancaster's Road Course, Marvin Ponch uh, won in November of that of 1956. Uh, at Titusville Co- Coco Road Course, Fireball Roberts won in December of 56. And at Watkins Glen's road course, it was Buck Baker winning in August of 1957. So uh, this is a lot of road courses on our schedule this season with a total of seven. Well, and I I don't know about you, Sharon. I've heard those driver names before, but there are some track names there I had never heard of before. (laughs) So (laughs) Okay. Now we're looking at... Building to this circuit of Americas, the anticipation for this has been building, and the time has come now for them to make their debut this weekend with the Echo Park Texas Grand Prix. Again, I kind of covered this, but I'll run through it one more time. The circuit of Americas, or CODA, is a multi-elevational, 20-turn, 3.41-mile paved road course just outside Austin, Texas, as the stage for this weekend's all three top steering top tier touring series culminating with the cup race on Sunday. The second of seven road courses as mentioned for the track or road course tracks for the cup series on the schedule. Uh, Sharon ran through the, well, maybe not. Uh, Daytona road course picked up by, when picked up by Christopher Bell, this being the second. We'll be going to the usual Sonoma in June on the 6th. Road America mentioned in August on the 4th. Then we hit Watkins Glen Actually, that's, on that's August. July. July, yep. Okay, sorry. Yep, back up. Uh, Road America is on the 4th of July. That's right. Watkins Glen is on August 8th. The Indianapolis Road Course, that'll be on August 15th. And then the Charlotte Roval in the playoffs come October 10th. Now, this weekend's procedures will be action-packed. Again, we have both practice and qualifying taking place over the weekend. This will be the third of what eight race weekends this season with designated practice and qualifying. The lone NASCAR Cup Series practice will take place at 10.05 a.m. Eastern Time, 10.05 to 10.55 a.m. Eastern Time on Saturday, May 22nd, can be viewed on FS2 from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Bush Pole qualifying will be held on the same day as the race, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, May 20th. That will be able to be viewed on FS1 from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern. 
which will be followed by NASCAR race day at 1 p.m. Eastern. Now expect the drivers and teams to soak up every bit of the extra time on track because very few of the competitors in the field have any experience in a stock car on this road course. Two-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Kyle Busch uh, participated in a Fox Sports production day at Coda back in April where he got to drive a production car around the 3.41-mile course. And this weekend's uh, Echo Park Texas Grand Prix scheduled for 68 laps, which will be a total of 231 miles, broken into three stages. The first stage is 15 laps. The second stage is 17 laps. And the final stage of the race will be 36 laps in length. So a lot to look forward to. I know we're here at Fan for Racing. They're certainly excited about it. And I know listening to some interviews, so are the drivers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. I think a lot of the drivers are excited about uh, racing at the Circuit of the Americas. I've been there a couple of different times. I went once for a 4th of July celebration and uh, watched the fireworks out there. And then uh, this past Christmas, we did uh, the uh, Christmas uh, drive through the circuit of the Americas. So uh, I've been there a couple of times, but never to see a race. So uh, definitely uh, looking forward to Sunday's race uh, out there at the track. All right. And, so and everybody, now, and everybody, keep, and everybody, keep it quiet and a secret for right now that she's taking her grandson this Sunday. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know yet. So <laughs> anyway. Uh, Here we go. It is the top of the hour, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and that means it's time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, joining us, uh, I know Mike's here. Welcome, Mike. Hello. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing great. And Andy just arrived, so we'll welcome Andy into the show. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. How's everybody doing tonight? Very well, thank you. And how about yourself? Pretty good. Good, good. We'll let you lead off our Hot Topic Sound Off for tonight. Yeah, this one, um, pretty big one, and uh, although not officially confirmed yet, some pretty strong uh, reporting this week about the potential for Brad Keselowski uh, to move over to Roush Fenway Racing for 2022, not only as a driver, but also as an owner of that team. So pretty big stuff right there. Curious what uh, what everybody thinks about that. Well, Mike, we'll let you lead off with your thoughts. Sure. This blew up on Tuesday morning, just after we finished our show on Monday evening. Um, what happened was motorsport.com published a story breaking the news that Brad Keselowski may be moving to Roush Fenway Racing to not only drive the number six car, but also assume an ownership role at Roush Fenway Racing. As the day progressed, more and more credible type reporters, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about guys like Jay Ski, Bob Pockris, those that level of credibility far beyond just, you know, the drunken Brian Fance kind of guys reporting it. So, Again, like Andy said, not confirmed yet, but it is all but a done deal. And I've heard the words done deal thrown around by guys like Bob Pockris. When people are directly questioned on it, for example, the Rush Fenway Racing's Vice President Steve Newark 
did a media appearance yesterday to talk about Roush Fenway's extended partnership with sponsor Fastenal. He was directly questioned about the Brad Keselowski deal. He just said that there were rumors circulating, and it was just he didn't say anything that was confirmed, but it was it was almost like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of a thing of yeah, this is a done deal. We just haven't announced it yet, kind of a thing. So, like we said. Not confirmed, but it sounds like it's as sure of a thing as things get to be sure right now. Okay, and what are your thoughts about it? Well, my thoughts are it's huge. I mean, it's been rumored for a couple of years that, uh, that Brad Keselowski may be on the way out of Team Penske. There was a lot of rumors about it last year we talked about, him potentially moving over to Hendrick Motorsports to replace Jimmy Johnson in the 48 car. That never came to fruition because Penske signed him for that one-year deal that he's currently driving this year. But, again, being only on a one-year deal, he was immediately a free agent. And there was speculation about him leaving Penske again. There was another fight with Joey Logano following the Daytona 500. Famously, those two didn't even speak to each other for a week following that race. And it sounds like the blood hasn't gotten any better over at Team Penske between Brad Keselowski and his teammates. Brad's not the most negative public person, so he hasn't really been out there trash-talking anybody, but just some of the inflection that you get from radio conversations or third-party sources, it really seems to imply that Brad was on the way out of Team Penske. So, the move to Roush was a bit of a surprise, but Brad Keselowski moving out of Team Penske, I would say, wasn't that surprising to me. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, as as I put in the group message, I was glad this didn't come out on Monday night while we were on the air because I'd hate for the big <laughs> mouth of the Mid-South to not be able to say anything because that caught me so off guard. Uh, not the fact necessarily that he was leaving Penske, but earlier this year, even following the Logano and uh, him dust up, there was indication that, that it was progressing at Penske and there, there was that probability. I don't remember the word that was used, but seemed to be trending in a good direction. And I assumed it had to do with sponsorship. Um, but I actually did anticipate him, him staying at uh, Penske uh, long term. I, I kind of put my eggs in, in the basket last year. I really thought he was one that was headed over to Hendrick Motorsports. So uh, based on Rick Hendrick's statement back when he signed with Penske of, I'll get him back one day. The biggest thing to me of this, and I go back to when Stuart Haas uh, Racing switched over to Ford, there was no inclination, no rumor, no anything of it until it hit. And whether it's confirmed or not, I mean, it hit. And like Mike said, it, it really does appear to be a done deal. Uh, I ranked that up there as maybe the second best kept secret uh, in the NASCAR garage. Uh, this one ranked second only because we, we did know that it was possible he may leave Penske. Whereas with Stuart Haas Racing, there was nothing showing that they were going to change over to Ford. I think it is a win-win across the board. And I've seen several that have put this out there. Uh, uh, Keselowski joining Roush Fenway, especially when it comes to ownership. Brad has that experience. I think he does well with sponsors. I think he brings a lot to the team as far as from the driver aspect, not that any of the other drivers at Roush Fenway haven't. Um, but we haven't seen the change as quickly anyway as what we'd like to see. So bringing in a, a driver of Keselowski's caliber, I think, definitely brings that. The, the way it settles out at Penske, then, there's so many different options. 
Sindrick, I know, was originally slated into the number 21 with the Wood Brothers, could move over into the number two. If not, that opens the door for Matt DiBenedetto to step into the main part of the organization into the number two, if that's the route they go. And we could see yet another surprise uh, as well as somebody else outside the box, but I think the most logical is one of those two scenarios, and I think that's great for Team Penske because I think DiBenedetto staying there within that umbrella of some sort is good. Sendrick coming in, we've talked about that, of he waited that extra year to come in next year uh, into the organization. It's definitely time for him. So I think it's a great thing for Penske. And also the last, well, I'll do that on my follow-up round. Go ahead with uh, with your thoughts, Sharon. <laughs> okay. Do you hear that music? I hear music playing. That means it's time for musical chairs in what we call silly season, and it is starting. Um, yeah, this sounds like an all-but-done deal. Uh, I think it's a good move for Joy, or for uh, Brad Keselowski. Uh, not what I would have expected, as many of you have already said. Um, but the, the, right now the music's playing, but when it stops, it sounds like uh, we don't know where, what's going to happen with uh, Ryan Newman. He's right now driving that number six. And the rumor has been so specific to say that Brad Keselowski will be driving the number six next year. So where does that leave Ryan Newman? Uh, is he thinking of retirement or is he thinking of another organization? We'll have to wait and see what happens in that regard. Uh, I think it should also be mentioned that this is a good move in light of the fact, and, and we brought this up on our, our uh, channel, our Hot Topics channel, uh, one of you guys wrote, you know, we've got a lot of driver, a lot of owners, team owners, that are getting up there in age, uh, including Jack Roush. So there's going to be a wave of new team owners coming into not just the Cup Series, but several of these uh, teams um, have aging owners. And so the next generation of owners are being groomed, and that includes, of course, Brad Keselowski, now at Roush Fenway Racing. And, in fact, that new team is going to be called Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing, RFK. So um, uh, we're, we're watching this unfold as it happens, the next generation of team owners. So great move for Brad Keselowski. I'm happy for him. Uh, as far as who's going to be, I think uh, Jay uh, outlined it pretty well. Uh, it sounds like it's probably going to be Matt DiBenedetto moving from the number 21 car into possibly the number two next season with uh, Austin Sendrick. Uh, slated to take over the 21 at Woods Brothers Racing for this season, so or next season, I mean. So um, I, I think it's a great move. I'm I'm happy for Brad Keselowski. I think he's it's been a long time coming. Uh, you get the sense that he's doing okay at Team Penske. I think he loves racing for that organization, but uh, there's been some bad blood there between him and his teammate. And I think he's ready to step away from that and get into a different situation. And I think this is a good one. So, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, pretty big news. There's no doubt about that. I, I don't know that I saw this coming. I'm not sure too many people did. But um, I've had a few days to think about this. And, and honestly, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Roush really hasn't been a top-tier team for several years now. 
And bringing in a big name like like Brad, not only as a driver but also as an owner, I think can really help bolster that team uh, in terms of funding and sponsors and uh, interest in that organization for years to come. And also, you have to remember that, that Brad used to own a truck team, and when he closed the doors at the end of 2017, um, I don't have a direct quote in front of me, but I know there was interest at that time for him to return to an ownership role uh, in some capacity at some point in time. So, um, you know, and despite the fact that he did close that team down, I think the best way for him to get reinvolved in an ownership role, um, to set himself up for, for retirement post driving is to buy into an existing organization that has current infrastructure, like a Roush Fenway racing that is an existing cup team with existing charters. So there's really no better way, I think, uh, for him to jump back into ownership, especially in the Cup Series, than to do what he's doing. And it's a huge win for, for Ford as well to keep him in the fold. Sharon, you did bring up a really good point that, um, you know, I think there is always the potential for him to go possibly back into the Hendrick fold. But I think with, with their current driver lineup being solidified for probably the next 10 to 15 years, you know, I, I think it was time for Brad to look in a new direction and it you know, I think that it, it really makes a lot of sense uh, when you think about it. And then, yeah, as far as, you know, vacancies over at Team Penske, um, you know, Matty D does have an option on his contract for Team Penske for 22. And it should be noted that the driver contract for him isn't through the Wood Brothers. It is through Team Penske, and there is an option mm-hmm. on that contract for next season. So, um, it only makes sense for him to stay in the fold. I don't know if that's dependent upon performance this season or not. Certainly not been a very good start to the season for that team. But um, I think that when you look at his results from last year and, and the fact that the Wood Brothers loves him as a driver, it would really, in my mind, make a lot of sense for him to remain in that car. And you could put Austin directly into the Team Penske fold for next season. So, um Really, a lot of a lot of things that make sense here, and it's just it seems crazy that such a big silly season domino would fall so early in the season. Because I think now we're gonna just hear more and more stuff come out, uh, you know, as the uh, season progresses for other moves to be made. But uh, certainly big news, but it makes a lot of sense for Brad to to finish up his driving days and also build his future as a team owner post driving. Okay, Mike, follow up. Yeah, we've really covered the, uh, the the move here. As far as the rest of the silly season fallout, that's a big question mark. As far as Ryan Newman is concerned, my bet would be retirement. I think this is probably going to be Ryan's last year, at least as a full-time NASCAR Cup Series driver. What he does from here, I can't say. I don't know that I don't know that he has an interest in an ownership role. Maybe he puts on that engineering hat. Don't forget he's got an engineering degree from Purdue. So maybe he puts on that engineering hat and goes into some sort of a a competition director or chief engineer type position in the uh, in a race team. Maybe even stay within the Roush family. I'm not sure about that. Obviously, nothing has even been announced regarding the Keselowski move, let alone what that's going to mean for Ryan Newman. <laughs> With regard to Matt Benedetto. I would say if I were a betting man, Matt Benedetto stays in the 21 car, and Austin Sindrick goes into the two. And the reason I say that is Austin's last name. 
It happens to coincide with Tim Sindrick, the president of Team Penske. So I would say if there's an open ride at Team Penske proper, my guess would be that Austin Sindrick goes in there. Like Andy said, Matt Benedetto has an option on his contract for this year, but he's also basically a free agent at this point. If Team Penske doesn't exercise the contract option, he's a, he's a free agent. The thing benefiting Matt Benedetto is there's not a whole lot of up-and-coming talent that looks like they're going to be making the move from the Xfinity Series, and they are cup-ready at a level that's at or better than what Matt Benedetto already brings to the table. Right now, as far as uh, free agent cup drivers, most cup drivers are either well along their way to signing a contract, for example, Alex Bowman, or already on a contract and unlikely to move. So I think the only real free agent at this point would be Ryan Newman. If I'm a team owner, and this is going to come across as bias maybe, but if I'm a team owner and if I'm looking to for potential upshot for not just next season but several seasons beyond, and I'm choosing between Ryan Newman and Matt Benedetto. I got to go with Matt Benedetto. He offers more years to the organization of competitive driving, and I think there's a, there's still an upshot to Matt Benedetto. Whereas a guy like Ryan Newman, who don't forget was a rookie with Jimmy Johnson, I believe that Ryan Newman is in the twilight of his career, and putting him in the car is not a long term solution for what to do with that. So that's kind of my take on the silly season piece. Obviously, a lot of pieces in motion. As we said last year, the butts are starting to come up into the air, so we're going to see where they land. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. <laughs> yeah, why do I always have to follow the butts going up in the air? Um, <laughs> one, thing, one thing Mike said there was if he was a betting man. I am a betting man, so I'll take that bet. If it is Benedetto and Cindric at Penske and the Wood Brothers, I say it's Benedetto into the two and Cindric into the 21. So go ahead and mark that down, Mike. Uh, get your screenshot ready. Uh, All right, so we got, we got two there, bets running right now. Yep, uh, more probably more than that, but that's the only two documented. Um, something Sharon said. She was uh, saying how this was a good move for Joey Joey Logano, and then corrected it to Brad Keselowski. I think you misspoke <laughs> the truth there. I think this might be good for Joey Logano as well. We'll have to wait and see uh, as it unfolds. But I wonder, I question of what Ford's involvement in this was, of the fact that last year it was rumored he may go to Hendrick Motorsports, was on a one-year contract. Ford didn't want to lose him. If he couldn't stay at Penske, making sure he stayed in the Ford fold, of maybe they had some influence in making this deal happen. Um, I find it hard to believe from that aspect because normally the more people that are involved, the more people that know, the more quicker it gets out, and this really didn't come out. So... I don't know about that, but certainly could be some uh, others in play there that we don't even know. And I think it was Andy that mentioned this, that the stage in, in Brad Keselowski's career is right. He's still got the talent and drive to drive, but is also setting himself up for the future. We saw it this past year with Denny Hamlin. Uh, we saw it with Stuart, uh, Tony Stewart when he went to Stuart Haas Racing mm-hmm. and kind of set himself up for that. So I think we're seeing that as a trend of what, what's to come, especially as has been mentioned, the, the owners that are getting ready to turn the reins over in certain organizations and the timing of it with 2022 now with the coming of the new car and the cost-saving measures that it's a good time to be getting into NASCAR as a team owner. So 
And the last thing I want to say, I think back to, and I believe it was 2012, Dodge announced they were leaving and Team Penske had to make a change. Keselowski won the championship. So I'm kind of putting my pins on uh, Brad Keselowski right now for the championship, get himself a championship <laughs> as he leaves the organization, just like Dodge did. Okay. I'm getting a kick of you guys talking about this being the best-kept secret. Uh, let's be perfectly clear. This has not yet been announced. This is a leaked rumor uh, that a lot of people are saying is all but done. Uh, so, but, but I get where you're coming from. I, I do get where you're coming from. But there has been no official announcement yet. This is a leaked uh, rumor uh, that sounds like it's, it's going to come to fruition, uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so that best kept secret has uh, the the cat is out of the bag. Um, I I think you you guys have all said it, and uh, I think we've covered it pretty well. So I don't really have a whole lot to add there, other than I'm laughing at the best kept secret comments. <laughs> okay, Andy, your follow up. Uh, none really. I you know I'll just be curious to see. Um, when they make this official, if it is official, and what they have to say in the announcement. But, I, I mean, it really does make total sense to me for them to do this. And, um, you know, I really think that, that Brad would bring a lot to a team um, to help get Roush back to what we've known them to be, and that's a, a contending team. And I, I think he teamed with, you know, possibly Chris Busher and maybe others in the future could really help bring that organization back to life. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a move that, if true, makes makes total sense. Okay. Well, we'll wrap that topic up. Uh, and, Mike, you've got the next topic. Well, this is an advantage for me going next because I don't have a topic of my own, so I'm going to scroll through the list and steal one of Jay's. Uh, 2311 has announced <laughs> that they've got a plus. <laughs> hey, you tried to steal my pick for the truck series earlier, so this is how I'm going to get back at you, buddy. So, anyway, uh, 2311 has announced uh, that they are uh, sold out for all of their races for the year. They added DraftKings as a partner for several races for the remainder of the year. And it sounds like 2311 is flushed with sponsorship and doing really well. So does this mean that they're setting up for a second team or maybe even more than just a second team? Fox? Jay, you're up. Well, coincidentally, uh, first off, uh, as Sharon introduced everybody, I tried to jump in there, but I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, I would have made the public apology. I did jump ahead of you and, and take a pick before you, as I shouldn't have. So my apologies for that on radio. Uh, second off, you did a good job because this was my next topic uh, that I'd put up earlier today. And, yeah, it would have been my next topic. So you, you did steal it away from me. Coincidentally, well, first we'll talk about DraftKings coming on. And there were some some wording in, in these announcements that indicated that DraftKings really wanted to do a lot more to boost that team and organization. And it's not an organization, uh, I don't want to say it's not an organization, but it is a one-car organization. And it was implied that maybe there was some, some things to come that it would become a two-car team. Uh, so they are doing good on the sponsorship side of it. We've seen that with Bubba Wallace. I know the performance hasn't been stellar, I think, for a, a first-year team, even if it's with Joe Gibbs Racing. 
they're doing okay. Maybe had a little bit higher expectations, but they are doing okay. The thing that brought it to my mind there was we were talking about Ryan Newman. If he is not ready to retire an organization that is building, having one driver like Bubba Wallace, having a veteran driver come in to help out and kind of guide him as well as the team, I think Ryan Newman fits that bill. So there's a possibility as to where Ryan Newman goes. And, again, this is if they are going to a second team. Okay. Uh, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I I definitely think you'll see a second team and probably as early as next season. I think this team's intent all along was to be more than just a single car operation. So, um, yeah, you'll see expansion from them in the future. I think they have some pretty big plans for the future. As far as, you know, who's going to come in and and be a second or third driver, I really can't say for sure. But I I think that – you have to look not at a veteran, but possibly um, drivers like Harrison Burton, some of the uh, Toyota development drivers, because, you know, for the last few years, we've seen Toyota drivers get pushed out, if you will, because there's been no room for them. But if, if 2311 racing can expand and um, grow and add teams, I think that provides opportunities for, for drivers to come up through the development ranks and remain within the Toyota racing fold. So um, I, I don't think you'll see a veteran go there. I think that you'll see, you know, some up and comers, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Harrison Burton and then some of the KBM truck series drivers. Um, you know, I don't really know so much about Brandon Jones or, or Daniel Hemrick, I think those are pay drivers that are at Joe Gibbs Racing because they bring funding. I don't know for sure if they're in the driver development program over there, but um, I know that Burton is. I think Burton's probably in the pipeline, and you know you've got some others down at KBM um, that could easily make their way into the Cup Series eventually, and to do so probably with 2311. So um, you know certainly some room for growth there, without a doubt. Yeah, I'm not at all surprised um, to to hear what we're hearing here with 2311. Uh, you've got uh, Denny Hamlin. He's one of the only drivers in the Cup Series right now that has a full-time sponsor with FedEx. Uh, you know, this kind of a bygone era of having a full-time sponsor like FedEx. And uh, so he's been a very loyal uh, driver with them. Uh, and then you've got also Michael Jordan, uh, who attracts uh, sponsors like a magnet uh, would attract uh, another magnet, I guess. Um, I, I really think that they are gearing up for that second team. And for all of the reasons that you guys brought up, there's, there's a lot of really talented Toyota drivers uh, that have nowhere to go because the house is full at uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. So uh, having this second organization uh, fielding Toyota cars is, is going to be beneficial, and we all know the affiliation with Joe Gibbs Racing there. So, um, again, no surprise for me. I, I think uh, uh, we're going to see uh, some bigger news come out with regard to this. I'm just curious to know uh, if Denny's going to stay with Joe Gibbs Racing or if he's going to make the switch over to 2311 racing at some point. 
I, I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, or if they're going to, and then that would allow Joe Gibbs Racing to bring in uh, somebody like a Harrison Burton within that organization. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, as we know, anything can and usually does happen. Uh, we'll have to see uh, how it unfolds. Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, I'm not going to say you stole my thunder, but I'm going to—I've got three names on my short list for who would end up in a potential uh, second 2311 car. One of them is going to be another development driver. We've got two veterans I want to talk about. So the development guy is not Harrison Burton. Uh, I don't think Harrison Burton has produced the results at the Xfinity level to merit a top-level cup ride. I know, Sharon, you really like him, and he's done okay in the Xfinity series, don't get me wrong, but he has not put together Christopher Bell, Eric Jones-level performance for Toyota that has earned those guys cup series rides in a very competitive environment for cup series rides. So the development guy that I would put into a second 2311 car is John Hunter Nemechek. Obviously he's running the truck series right now, but don't forget he ran the cup series last year. He did okay, not wonderful, but he was also in a front row car. So not exactly top level equipment either. And I think he adjudicated himself fairly. Jay, do you need a dictionary? Uh, he adjudicated himself fairly well in that uh, in the 38 car last year. So I think John Hunter Nemechek is a good candidate for a second 2311 car. The next guy that I would consider a, a top-level candidate, before this Brad Keselowski stuff all broke, uh, I was going to put Matt Benedetto in a second 2311 car. Matt has a lot of history with Toyota. Remember, he got elbowed out of the 95 car, which was a Joe Gibbs Racing affiliate at the time, in favor of Christopher Bell, who's now driving for Joe Gibbs Racing proper. Uh, Matt has a lot of history with Denny Hamlin. Don't forget that uh, that fall 2019 okay. Bristol race where Denny beat Matt with about 10 laps to go. And that kind of emotional victory lane slash post-race interview thing where Matt came over who knows what was said? They never aired the audio or anything, but Matt and Denny really hugged it out. I've never seen a race winner apologize for winning a race like Denny Hamlin did for beating Matt Benedetto. So I think if Denny has the opportunity, he would put Matt Benedetto in that race car if he needed to hire a driver for it. And the third driver that I would consider for a second 2311 car is Denny Hamlin himself. Denny's obviously put a lot of time, money, and effort into developing 2311. Denny's only got a couple years left of his driving career, at least in terms of a competitive driving career, based on the recent history of driver retirements. So it would not surprise me at all for Denny to want to drive his own car for the last few years, especially if they can buy the number 11 from Joe Gibbs Racing and Denny can take it with him too, 2311 Racing. Okay, i got to jump in here. We're at that time of the night where uh, I do this for our new listeners. If you're tuning in for the first time, we're going to go off the air right at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and that means we might be mid-sentence when we go off air. Just know that we are continuing to record the rest of the conversation as part of our bonus overtime material that is available on our podcast. Now, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark, and that will allow you to listen then to the rest of our conversation. Uh, at about 10 o'clock, I'll come out. Um, I'm sorry, at about uh, when we're finished here, I will come out on uh, Twitter just to let you know that the podcast is available, and it's at that point that you can do that fast forwarding to that two-hour mark. Okay, with that. 
Uh, Jay, your follow-up comment. That interruption was real good. It gave me time to how to go about agreeing with Mike on almost every point he made there, uh, <laughs> starting with Harrison Burton. Uh, we, we saw him come out strong as a rookie last year. He just hasn't had this year, and we've talked about this with other drivers. Having that third, fourth year in the Xfinity Series is not a bad thing. So if they are going to, and that's where I put Ryan Newman in as maybe that veteran driver for two years, a year, maybe two years. Um, we'll have to see what direction they go. And I know when Andy mentioned it, I said I, I wouldn't take that bet with him, not against him, because, but because the veteran versus a new, younger driver, that could go either way. Uh, you mentioned John Hunter Nemechek. That was one I agree with, uh, the fact that he is back with Toyota um, coming over from Kyle Busch Motorsports the year he's having in the truck series, and I do think would be a good fit there. A veteran if you will, from that aspect, though, Matt DiBenedetto, a great fit. If he does not get into the number two or stay in the 21 at Team Penske and Wood Brothers, I do think that is a very high probability and viable option. We talked about this early in the year when Owen first put this out of the 2311, possibly going mm -hmm. to a two-car team already. Um, I do think that is a very strong case to be made. As Mike said, to see a driver say, hey, I'm so sorry I beat you, uh, you know, I mean, that's just unheard of. And it was truly, you could tell it was heartfelt. Denny Hamlin is also one that helped put up sponsorship money for, <coughs> excuse me, De Benedetto in a race or two, or at least helped push to get funding, um, as well as Kevin Harvick. Uh, the one I don't necessarily agree with there, I'm trying to think now, there, what, he had a third one. Oh, oh, okay. Third I was a little Denny confused. No, I was a little confused because you called John Hunter Nemechek a developmental driver. And I know he's still young, and he did have the one-year in cup. Um, and like I said, I do think that that is a possibility. Denny Hamlin going over there himself, I don't think we see as of yet. And I say that because with the, the organization they have there coming off of last year with eight wins, not winning yet this year, but the position he's in, still running so strong and consistent, I think they keep that team together. If they want that room for a developmental driver, I think they would utilize the second um, 2311 team. We may see that in three to four, maybe five years, um, if, if that long, of Denny Hamlin moving over there. But I think to start with, to get the organization set, I think they go with two different drivers. I don't see Denny Hamlin going over there. Because uh, then he might have to fire the crew chief. In this case, it's an, an it's another team. Even though he's an owner, he can just <laughs> yell at him over the radio. <laughs> okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see uh, uh, what they do. You know, whether they put a veteran or a you know a development driver in there. But I definitely think that this opens the pipeline for more options for drivers to come up through. Um, like we've seen with Chevrolet and Ford, um, you know, I think that there's less likely for drivers to get pushed out and have to go to other teams and manufacturers, um, you know, and who knows, maybe this is an opportunity for some drivers to rejoin the fold, like and Eric Jones. Um, I know mm -hmm. that's not someone a lot of people are thinking of, but, um, you know, Eric Jones is a top-tier driver in a third-tier car right now, and there's just no getting around that. And I think that 
you could potentially see someone like him possibly rejoin Toyota and do so with 2311. So obviously a lot of possibilities, a lot of really good ideas from everyone here on this one. Um, but I think that you'll definitely see expansion and I think that it may not stop at just two cars either. So it'll be fun to see what they do in the years to come. Yeah, I do think this team is going to grow very quickly and I think they're going to do well very quickly. Um, so I think in, in a lot of that success, I think, hinges on who they bring in as their second driver or third or fourth and so on. Uh, but I don't have a whole lot more to add here. Uh, Mike, I'm going to let you wrap this one up. I would say that Toyota has got to be really interested in expanding 2311 as well. You look at the other two manufacturers, and both of them have a full four-car team with a three-car secondary team and then a couple associate teams from there. So Chevrolet's got Hendrick Motorsports plus Chip Ganassi Racing uh, and Richard Childress Racing all underneath the Chevy umbrella. Ford has Stuart Haas Racing plus Team Penske plus Rush Fenway Kozlowski Racing as uh, all within the Ford camp. And Toyota doesn't really have that kind of strength in numbers. And you see it most pro- uh, prominently at the restrictor plate races or the former restrictor plate races where Toyota is forced to have to work with other manufacturers sometimes where the other manufacturers, Ford and Chevrolet, can all work together and have more than enough teammates to make things happen. So Toyota has got to be interested in expanding 2311. I will say one thing, though. If I'm sitting on an underutilized NASCAR charter, <clears throat> Rick Royer, then uh, I'm pretty happy right now because my investment in the NASCAR charter has got to be just going through the roof. All right. Uh, Jay, that brings you up as the next person to bring up our next top topic. All right. I'm not sure how to phrase this. I'm going to try and pull it up here without blowing up my phone. But uh, Tommy had put this up of North Carolina's American Recovery Plan uh, money uh, in Carolina where it was headed and there is a proposal out I believe from the governor that it goes to racetracks one of them being North Wilkesboro if I read all this correctly and possibly Rockingham okay Andy any thoughts there yeah uh, actually Jay there is funding I believe it's 30 million um, 10 of which would be allocated to North Wilkesboro, 10 allocated to Rockingham, 10 allocated to Charlotte. This is all for improvements uh, to these facilities. I don't have the specifics in front of me, but that's what I did read about it. Um, this is this is potentially monumental, I think, for the return of two of these racetracks. Um, I don't know in what capacity or, or where they would fit into the schedule, but, um, you know, there's been a movement, if you will, to get the sport back to its roots, and nothing says NASCAR roots more than North Wilkesboro and Rockingham Speedways, um, both of which, you know, certainly a big part of the history of the sport. So, um you know, I don't know what developing these racetracks means necessarily, but um, there's been a lot of talk about North Wilkesboro in recent uh, weeks. And, um, you know, I think it would be incredible to see these racetracks um, make their way back into into the schedule for the Cup Series, you know. And, you know, I don't know where – I don't know how this is going to happen. It seems like 
you know, there's a lot of rumors about all these new venues or returning venues. And obviously that probably means the expense of some existing racetracks. And, you know, you just kind of wonder how it's all going to shake out, you know, or maybe, maybe we see these venues return and we see venues alternate in and off the schedule periodically. I don't know, but, um, I, for one, would be totally cool seeing these racetracks make a return. I think that it's a return to um, somewhat of the roots of the sport. And, uh, you know, Rockingham, I felt like, always put on really good races. North Wilkesboro was before my time, but I'm a huge proponent of short tracks, and North Wilkesboro is a short track. So um, I think that um, I think those are two great racetracks. And, you know, if we can bulldoze more mile and a half in favor of these facilities, I'm all for it. <laughs> so... Um, should be uh, interesting to see what they do, but certainly if, if you know state infrastructure is willing to invest millions into a facility, then you have to think that there's some kind of long-term economic plan, as in bringing in uh, revenue via races or something to get these facilities going again to generate revenue to to bring back a return on those investments from the state. So. Um, I think it's exciting. I think that uh, this is definitely potential for some good things down the road. Okay, Mike. Don't you just love some good old-fashioned pork barrel government spending? Um, so this is a kind of an interesting deal, and you got the same sum of money, and its impact is going to be vastly different at these different places. $10 million to a place like Charlotte Motor Speedway I'd be surprised if you even notice what they did there. Maybe they'll put in like a fan experience garage or something like Talladega did, something like that. But Charlotte Motor Speedway is probably least in need of this money. Uh, they make more than enough revenue through the various events that they do, their NASCAR races, among other things. So Charlotte, $10 million, it's probably not going to be much more than a blip on their radar. A place like Rockingham, I think $10 million is probably about right for what it would take to bring that place back. Rockingham's racing surface is in decent shape. I think it's still at least salvageable for the next few years. It probably will need a repave in less than 10 years if they go back to regularly racing there. But they do still periodically hold events on the track, and I think $10 million would be better served to renovate the grandstands, the press boxes, the garage area, things like that. Rockingham is a – if you look at the pictures of Rockingham now, it's almost like a time capsule from the 90s, and it just, it, it, it just screams the early 1990s, which just so happens to be the last time Rockingham had serious renovations done to it, and it still looks like it. I think the facilities are in good enough material condition based on some of the things that I've read about people who have been out there and surveyed it and taken a look and, and seen what they thought of it. So I think renovation would be enough for Rockingham. $10 million I don't think is going to be enough to bring Wilkesboro back. North Wilkesboro closed in the early 90s, but they were very, very much a product of the 1970s. And they added additional grandstands around there, but by and large, North Wilkesboro Speedway is in the condition that it was in in the late 1970s when the major renovations were done there. I don't know that there's really anything salvageable at North Wilkesboro beyond the cleared land and the dirt underneath the racing surface. Literally everything else will need to be torn down and replaced. the racing surface is not in raceable condition. You could drive a vehicle around it at low speeds, but if you put race cars out there driving in anger, you are going to pull that asphalt up very quickly. And remember what happened at Martinsville a few years ago. 
loose asphalt and race cars don't get along very well together. Obviously, North Wilkesboro needs safer barriers installed. The grandstands are not in safe shape to put 40 or 50,000 people in that associated weight up there. All the buildings, the, you know, the restroom facilities, the press boxes, the garages, everything is in so poor of a condition. It will almost all have to be torn down and completely rebuilt. $10 million is a great start, and I wouldn't turn that money away if it was given to me in a briefcase. But in terms of bringing back North Wilkesboro Speedway, I don't know that it's going to be enough. So I'm interested to see what they do with it, if maybe that's enough to bridge the gap with a guy like Marcus Lamonis who can cover the gap. And then we can get enough investment into North Wilkesboro to bring that place back. All right, and Chair and his pass the torch off to me. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, as I put up the tweet that Dave Moody had, that again, I think there's more involvement here than than what we know. Uh, I, I highly doubt a government official just out of the blue decided to give thirty million dollars away to certain race facilities. And I think the key factor here to look at, and I'm going to try and pull this up. Uh, Andy gave some good information on what the money was projected to go for. Uh, Ten million to each of uh, the tracks. It was a total of 45 million, but it says for expand motorsports and outdoor event opportunities, a total of 45 million, 10 million to each of the tracks, and then 5 million to develop, connect, and market a new motorsports and moonshine heritage trail. When you talk about Carolinas, that is in their heritage. So it is not just about racing in this case. It happens to be at race facilities, but like a lot of facilities, if they only have one or two event NASCAR events a year, they've got to find other ways of bringing in revenue. So I think that's where a lot of people are jumping on it as the government is funding tracks. No, they're, they're funding venues, okay? Part of it being motorsports, yes, it is a motorsports plex, but what else can it be used for? And reading that as far as the Moonshine Heritage Trail being here over here, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, and I believe into Florida, you have the Robert Trent, Robert Trent Jones Golf Course Trail, Natchez Trail through Mississippi and uh, Tennessee. So if that's the direction they're going, I feel it can be justified. Uh, you know, and even as a race fan, if it were just for the benefit of racing, I don't. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.